Hello friends, I want to welcome you to our latest podcast talk. This is Pastor Marco. Listen, uh, we love to have you come hang out with us live. If you've never been, if you live in the area, we have two services, Saturday 6 p.m. and Sunday 10 a.m. And if you have kids, we have incredible children's ministry for all ages. And don't forget to check out our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. We believe this message is going to encourage you, but also challenge you in your walk with God. I want to share with you this morning this concept of not just celebrating Christmas, but that we're actually are meant to do Christmas. That God didn't send Jesus to start a holiday. God sent Jesus to start a movement of people that would do his will. Can you say amen? So if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to read from the book of James towards the end of the Bible. The book of James, chapter 1, just two verses, but I would encourage you to go home and read the rest of this book. It's only five chapters. It's not long, but it's, it's packed with so much. But I just want to share two verses with you to get us thinking about not just celebrating Christmas, but actually doing Christmas. Can you say amen? James 1, verse 26 says, if... You claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Hello, somebody. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you, can you say amen? That's doing instead of just celebrating. What's interesting is what you just read was written by James, who has an interesting perspective on Christmas because he was the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but Mary, after having Jesus, went on to have more children, the Bible tells us. And James is one of Jesus' brothers, right? Jesus had four brothers and sisters. We're not sure how many sisters because the Bible just says sisters. But it names the brothers. And I want to show you this, that, that, that James has a very unique perspective about Jesus because he, he lived with the guy. Like he was there with him. Can I show you to you real quick? Just one example in the Bible. When Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown, right? When he went back to New Bedford, um, when he... When he, when he thought there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed like, oh, who's this guy? He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers. What's the first brother? James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not, not the same Judas. Um, another Judas. And all of his sisters live right here among us, which tells you they had a huge family, which is awesome because we love to have babies in this house, so keep having them, so let's keep having a lot of kids, right? Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Wow, amazing, right? Because sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, Right, that Jesus is doing all these amazing things everywhere else, but he comes home and they scoff at him and they're like, hmm, who do you think you are? 
Right? And so James is writing from a very unique perspective because he was Jesus' brother. Right? And so I, 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 just a couple of observations here. Listen, if you have a hard time believing in Jesus, you're in good company. His own brothers had a hard time believing in him. Like lived in the same guy, like had dinner with the guy, saw the miracles firsthand and still were like, oh, we're not sure about you. So I got good news for you. That skepticism and doubt is not the end of faith. It's part of faith. Sometimes you got to go through those moments to be able to have a real encounter with Jesus. But sometimes that it's not that you don't have faith. Is that you're in a journey, you're in a process to get to the point of, of, of really seeing Jesus for who he is. The other observation is this. If people give you a hard time because you follow Jesus, you are in good company. Right? Because here we are, Jesus' own family having a hard time with him. And so when your family is, is like, who do you think you are with this born again thing? Just remember, Jesus went through the same thing. So you're in good company this morning. Just keep following. Just keep doing your part. Just keep believing and just keep doing it and let God do the rest, right? But not only do they have this moment, they, they actually went a little bit deeper than that. I want to show you another scripture in John. It says this about the brothers, right? It says, and Jesus' brother said to him, live here, go to Judea. Like, go, can you go preach somewhere else? Like, can you go to Fall River or something? Uh, like where your followers can see your miracles and you you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can't do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And you would think this is a compliment. But then the scripture says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Isn't that amazing? Like they are seeing things, but they're not fully understanding what's happening in their midst. Right? Isn't that amazing that, that two people can encounter a miracle. One person would say that's God. The other person would just say that. Yes. We don't know. It's coincidence. Who knows what that is? You know, it all depends on your eyes of faith and how you see and perceiving what's happening around you. But the good news is James ends up being one of the people who actually writes a book that we have in the Bible. And you ask the question, how in the world, how can he go from, you know, scoffing at Jesus and tell him to go preach somewhere else to having a book in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked because God... You know, gives us another clue of what happened to James. See, what happened to James is what happened to a lot of people who encountered Jesus, not just in his physical form, but encountered Jesus after the resurrection form. See, Jesus didn't just come to be a baby in a manger. He came to teach, to preach, to do miracles, to die on the cross, and then to, to defy death by coming back from the dead three days later. And the Bible tells us that this is where the rubber meets the road for James. Can I prove it to you? Look, the Bible says this in Corinthians about the resurrection. It says, he was buried. He was raised from the dead. On the third day, just as scripture said, he was seen by Peter, which is one of the first disciples, and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. So when people say, you know, we created this whole concept of the resurrection, 500 people cannot come up with the same concept at the same time. Like they saw Jesus fully alive in person. Now watch this little nugget in the Bible. So cool. Right? It says this, most of whom are still alive. Like Paul was saying that when I wrote this, 
Those people, you can go check with them. They'll let you know that they saw Jesus alive and in person and that that changes everything when you have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and not just a religion, not just the formality of it, but when you see Jesus for who he is, that changes everything. And watch this, right? Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So James goes from scoffing at Jesus to tell him to go preach somewhere else to embracing Jesus because after the resurrection, Jesus was not his brother anymore. Jesus was his Lord, his Savior, the one who came to change the world. Like when you encounter Jesus that way, that changes everything. And I love James because if you, I, go, I pray you go home and read his book. It's so awesome. I love James because the way my personality is set up, James is a straightforward dude. Like James doesn't hold back any punches. Right? When you read James, like James is like one of those like crazy preachers that will just invade your space. Right? Like James doesn't care about being politically correct. James doesn't care about stepping on your toes. James is not even concerned if you feel like your, ro- your boat's being rocked. He wants to turn that boat upside down. Like James is that kind of preacher that's like, listen, I wasted time scoffing and making fun. Now I know him for who he truly is. I don't have time to play church games. I need to be for real about this Jesus. Isn't it amazing? When you actually encounter Jesus, what do we normally have as an experience? We say, man, I wish I knew sooner. I've never met anyone who met Jesus who said, I would have waited. Everybody that meets Jesus is like, man, I wish I knew this way back. Why? Because it changes everything. Can you say amen? One of the greatest proof of Jesus' life is the family that gets flipped upside down. Because, as you know, the hardest people to sometimes reach is family. Isn't that interesting? We can talk to strangers about some things, and then families are like, ah, I come with this Jesus thing. Right? What I love about Jesus, though, as you read the Gospels, I hope you do, is that Jesus never allowed those, those family members to dictate his faith. He kept doing his, the, God, the Father's will. He kept preaching. He kept doing miracles. He kept going. Listen, I got good news for you. Be patient with those who don't believe yet, but keep doing what God has called you to do. Like, keep going forward. Keep doing your part. Never allow people to dictate your faith. People shouldn't have that kind of power. And so I love that about Jesus. Every time they did that, he, you, like, go read it. He's like, okay, I'll just... I'll just go preach, (laughs) you know, whenever you guys are ready. And so we have to trust the process that each person is in, but we have to embrace the process that we're in with our faith in Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. But James became one of the first key church leaders in the Bible. Did you know that? Like he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem because he encountered not just a nice teacher, but he encountered Jesus as the Lord and savior of the world. And so he writes his book to to make it plain and clear. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's what he looks like. That's that's the heart of of his message. Listen, if you want to know practically what is Christianity all about, read the book of James. Like the book of James is Christian living in the most practical sense that you can find. His goal was like, listen, 
now that we're serious about him, then, then let's do the things that he would do. Because think about it. Here's a guy that had first row seat of miracles, first row seat of Jesus' teachings, and he's like, listen, he didn't come to establish a religion. He didn't come to establish a holiday. He came to establish a way of living life, a way of doing life, a way to live life a certain way. What's so interesting is, so he says, if you claim to be religious, what's interesting is the word religion is only used about a handful in the Bible, and each time the word religion is used in the Bible, is used in a negative way. It's interesting, right? There's another man who wrote 80% of the Bible named Paul. When he used the word religion, he says, religion is just formality. Religion is just going through the motions. He, he, said, he said in another instance, he said, religion is just superstition. Right? He says, that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to start a, a, a formality of things. He didn't come to give us, you know, uh, superstition. Like some people believe that if you send a chain mail, that you get some kind of blessing when you send the chain mail. That's just superstition. That's, it's not going to do anything. So please stop sending me chain mails, people of God. I've been sitting on that for a little bit. You know, we mean well. But it doesn't mean God is in it. But James so says, if you claim to be religious, it's not about what you claim, it's what you're doing. That actually reflects the heart of God. See, the, the, the book of James is all about action. You know, James says things like, again, go read. He says, hey, you say you have faith? Well, show me by your works. Right? He says, I don't want to talk about it. I want to be about it. Right? He said, oh, you see a brother over there, he's hungry, and you go by, you go, you say, God bless. You say, you think you helped him because you use Christian language? Right? You didn't bless the brother because you posted the picture on Facebook. It's because you actually sat with the brother and, and, and fed the brother and helped the brother. That's true and pure religion. So James is like, yo, if we're going to be religious, let's be religious about the right things. Let's actually activate this thing called faith. Because he said faith without works is, is dead. He goes as far as saying this. Again, I love James because he's like in your face. James says, oh, you say you believe in God? Well, that's great, I guess, because demons do too. He said it's not that you say you believe in God that matters. It's actually how you live your life because you believe in God that matters. It's about your actions that actually matters. Right? So he's like, listen, one's religion is useless if it doesn't translate into the way you live and the way you treat others. And did you notice he mentioned three things? He said, if you're going to be religious, first thing he said, how about you tame your tongue? Hello, somebody. He's got a whole chapter on your tongue. Chapter three. And he got me because he started with the preachers. He said, if you're going to be a teacher, you better watch what you're saying. And so I need to let you know that James convicted me this week that sometimes as a preacher, I use my tongue the wrong way. I want to repent in front of you that sometimes I'm not hitting the mark that God wanted me to hit with my mouth. That sometimes I need to think through what I'm saying. And that's why, listen, you don't understand what preaching is. When I go home, the Holy Spirit is grilling me. You don't have to grill me. He's already in me. Hey, I go home. He's like, uh, remember when you said, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. But that's the beauty of this thing, right? It's a, it's a work in progress. God's always working on you. He's always tweaking you. He's always shaping you. 
He's always molding you into the person he created you to be. Right? But he said, listen, you want to be religious? Well, the greatest weapon you have is in your mouth. He said, you can use it to bless or you can use it to curse. He said, you can't say praise God in one moment and then curse your neighbor the next moment. Because your neighbor is created in the image and likeness of God. And if you really love God, then you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he says, how about you use your tongue to bless and not to curse? You know, your tongue could be a weapon of mass destruction or it can be an amazing weapon of building. The Bible says there's power of life and death in your words. God himself created the world by speaking it into existence, which tells you your words create worlds. So James is saying, if you're really going to be religious, start with your mouth and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to tame it so that it can be a blessing and not a curse. Can you say amen? Amen. And then he goes on. Are we clapping? Let's just do it. He goes on and says, oh, you want to be religious? How about you help the poor? Because that's what Jesus would do. Remember, he had first row seats to see Jesus in action. And he's saying, you know what he cares about? He cares about helping the needy. Like, that's his heart, church. Like, we need to, our hearts need to break for what breaks God's heart. If we're going to be his people, if we're going to be the people that he calls us to be, we need to have a heart that is soft and, 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 and it wants to help and not destroy. It wants to mend and not, and not break. We need to have a spirit that loves people the way Jesus loved people. James didn't come up with that. He saw his brother doing it. And he says, you gotta, you got to be in the people's business because the whole thing is about people. God cares about people. God is in the business of people. Wherever you are, there's people. Unless you're in an island somewhere and you have a friend named Wilson. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that in your life, there's people. And those people are not there by coincidence. They're not there by mistake. They're there for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus This is why we want to be a church like James describes, a church of action. This is why we go to the homeless shelters. This is why we go to the tent city. This is why we go to the youth detention center. This is why we went to Willis Cove for the elderly. This is why this year we just applied to have a jail ministry in the city. You know, this is why we will continue to push to be people of action, not people who are like my uncle. Let me tell you about my uncle. I have an uncle growing up that always had this illusion of running, but he never actually ran. Like my uncle wanted to be in shape, but never actually stepped out of the house to run. His friends would come over, knock on the door and be like, can we go run? And he, and he, and he would say things like, man, in my head, I already ran like four or five miles. You know, I'm just tired. I feel like that's some people live Christianity. In their minds, they're amazing Christians. But the problem is Christianity is not meant to be lived in your mind. It's meant to be lived in real time with real people, with real action. That we actually do things that shows Jesus. You ever hear people say, like, we have an outreach and they're like, I'll be with you guys in spirit. Is that a thing? Again, we mean well, but that's not what it's all about. It's about the actual action that I'm there. Jesus came to get his hands dirty. 
You know, we live in a hyper-grace society. People say, it's all about grace. It's like, yeah, but grace without works is nothing. It's just emotionalism. You know, you come to church and cry and cry and cry, but then live the same. If the crying doesn't connect the transformation and healing and restoration. It's not emotionalism. I know we are a charismatic church, but we need to have a real encounter with the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. He said, if you claim to be religious, tame your tongue, help the poor. And then three, he says, don't be corrupted by the world. The world is the system around you, he's saying. He's saying there's a system around you who doesn't honor God. There's a system around you who doesn't care about the things of God. And you have to be careful not to be, the word corrupted is the same word as being infected. He said, don't be affected by the germs of the society around you who is all about me, myself, and I. What else can I get? Can I do me? Can I, can I get one more thing? Can it be more about me? What else can you do for me? And James is saying, be careful not to be corrupted by the world because you cannot follow Jesus and look like someone who doesn't know him. Got to look like him. You got to talk like him. You got to act like him. The whole point of Christianity is to be like Jesus. That's the whole point. In church, Christmas, it's about Jesus. It's not about capitalism. Now, this is a, this is a tough one. Right? Because the kingdom will always go against the grain of empires. Right? We're, I hope that we're Christians first before we're Americans. Right? Like, I hope we have a heart for the things of God before we have a heart for a flag. Like, I hope our pledge of allegiance is to God first, not to an economy. Because I'm pretty sure if our greatest need was, was finances, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was political, God would have sent us a politician. If our greatest need was fashion, God would have sent us a fashionista. But because our greatest need is a savior, God sent Jesus to come and die for the sins of the world to make us new people, not to stay the same. See, Christmas really happens on Monday, this time of the year. But you get what I'm saying? It's a lifestyle. That reflects who Jesus is. He said pure and genuine religion. If you're going to be religious, then be religious about the right things. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, put it this way. He said charity and purity are the greatest garments of Christianity. He said that's how you really know that you're following Christ. Is in your charity and in your purity. Not being corrupted by a society that is just selfish. That's why I love that video about being grateful for the things you already have. Because half of the world looks at us and say, we're rich. I don't know if you realize that. Like 80, not 85% of the world doesn't have clean water. So they look at you and they say, rich. You're like, I'm not rich, but you are in their eyes. You have a car? Rich. 75% of the world doesn't have a car. Did you know that? You have, you have, you have the ability to put your lights on? Rich. That's how the world looks at you, right? Because it's all about perspective, right? That I'm blessed because I have this God with me. And, and James insists, again, go read it, so good. If you want 
a great year in 2018? Read the book of James every day. You won't catch a resolution. You catch a revelation of who God created you to be. I'm telling you. He insists. He says, he says, I don't think God wants us to just hear the word. He wants us to do it. What a concept. What a radical concept if we begin to actually do the will of God. And not just, you know, listen, I study theology. I got, a, I got a degree in theology, but can I be honest with you? A lot of it is boring. You know why it's boring? Because it's just systematic. It's not incarnational. See, incarnational theology is way more exciting. Incarnational theology has hands and feet and has eyes, it has mouth, it walks, it talks, it touches, it heals, it restores. Why do we love Mother Teresa? Because she is a person who exemplifies what it means to be a person who takes theology to the heart and actually does something that reflects the theology that's in our heart. Because if it's only my mind and heart, then it's not real. Incarnational theology. Why does God doesn't say, hey, love you guys. No, he became incarnate. He became a human being in the blood, in flesh and blood to say, listen, I'm going to get in this dirt and, and mud and, and, and trials and tribulations with you. So when you go through it, you can say, no, I have a savior who's been there. He's been through life. He knows that life hurts. He knows that life sometimes is not easy. But guess what? We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength to do his will. James says, be a doer. That's why we do these things that we do. That's why, listen, I hope you understand. We're not, we don't want to be a program-driven church. We want to be a mission-driven church. See, some churches have programs every day of the week. You know, Monday is, 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 is prayer night. Tuesday is knitting club. You know, Wednesday, you know, is mothers with kids. You know, that stuff is great. But the reality is, if we're truly in tune with the Spirit of God, there's an outreach happening every single day. If you're paying attention, it doesn't have to be a program. It just has to be a way of life. You just have to be that I'm in tune with the Spirit of God, and he can use me exactly where I am. Like we started a youth ministry, and I tell the youth leaders, listen, don't be a youth ministry that just is excited about the next big thing because the next big thing is today. You may be missing the next big thing because you didn't show up to today. And what we end up with, we end up with a hyper Christianity as opposed to a mundane Christianity where Christ is revealed on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. You know, lately I've been hearing a lot of people saying, I just, I just need to do less. I need to do less. But it's like, do less to go do what? To go do what? No one changes the world in their comfort zone. I've never met a testimony of someone who was like, I was in my recliner and somehow... The world was being changed as I was sitting there and, and taking in the gospel of ESPN and the gospel of HGTV and the gospel of QVC. I have never met anyone who's changed the world by doing less. I meet people who change the world in the thick of it. People who, yes, they get tired, they get down, but you know, God is so faithful in as you're doing it, he's replenishing you. As you're doing it, he's healing you. As you're doing it, he's restoring you. As you're doing it, he's blessing you. As you're doing it, he's energizing you. This is our third service. Each time I've done it, I'm getting more energy. I'm getting more emphatic. Doers. 
of the word is what this thing is all about. A church in action. You know, it's so cool because when you're doing that, God will always say, there's one more thing that I would love for you to be a part of. See, we can't do everything, but we can do some things. We can all do some things, right? And so, and so the last few years, not only have we done all these outreaches and we'll keep doing them, we'll keep expanding them, but God also gave us an international outreach where we, the last few years we've been able to help these orphans in Kenya, you know? It's been an awesome thing to see this thing develop over the years, you know, because he said pure religion will take care of the orphans. I don't know if you know this, but spiritually speaking, we're all orphans, like you could be a great person, you had your mom and your dad, but spiritually speaking, you were orphan. You need Jesus to come and rescue you and bring you into his family. That's what the whole point of Christianity is. Right? And so that's why Jesus said, hey, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in jail, you visited me. Because Jesus identifies himself with the broken, with the orphans and the widows. And he said, one day, here's how I'm going to separate the world. I'm going to separate them as sheep from goats based on what you did for the least of these. Isn't that amazing? Uh, he said, that's what it comes on to him for him. It's like, did you do those things? If you didn't, I don't know you. If you did, welcome. Right? And so we have the privilege to be part of these amazing kids' lives in Kenya from here. Like, isn't it just like God to connect the church in New Bedford with a school in Kenya that takes care of of, of orphans, and, 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 and now we get to go back. Like next weekend, we have a team going back to Kenya to continue this work that we began a few years ago. And what's cool is each year we're able to add new layers to it, you know. And today, I want to tell you this, church, today you can change the world. It's not every day that we get to say that. And all of us, at some point in life, whether you believe in God or not, We've had a longing to change the world. All of us at some point has dreamed of making, making a difference in the world. The problem with making a difference is it actually requires work. Right? The romantic idea is great, but the actual doing, right? Oh, no, amen. Okay. Well, the idea of having kids is great, but the idea of being a parent. The idea of a marriage is great, but the idea of living married every day. Come on, somebody. The idea of, I want a big house, but the idea of a mortgage. You get what I'm saying? You, you, are you following what I'm trying to get at? Like, it takes work to keep up with your blessings. The more blessed you are, the more you're going to work. <laughs> right? People are like, God bless me. God's like, uh, you ready to work? Work, work, work. So this is awesome that we have a team going back to Kenya. But today, all of us can do something to change these kids' lives. Our goal this weekend is to sponsor these kids, is to welcome them into our family. Like, our goal this weekend is that you can say, listen, I may not go to Kenya, but I have the heart of God here, and I can pick a kid, and he can become part of my extended family. I'm going to pray for this kid. I'm going to bless this kid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give into this kid, and I'm going to see this kid develop over the years, and I'm going to see the love of Jesus in this kid. Who knows, one day you might go to Kenya and meet one of these kids that God has put in our hearts. As a church, we're committing $12,000 to this school to help with the infrastructure, with the student, with the... 
That's what we're doing as a church. That's what we do with the offering. You know, we're trying to bless people. But individually, it would be awesome if these kids could have a family. You know, we started last night sponsoring each one. And you can go. It's right outside of the auditorium. We have a table with the kids, the picture and the names. And uh, how cool would it be to bring it home and say to your family, this is our extended brother or sister that we're going to pray for. And we're going to sponsor them. Only $30 a month will go a long way in Kenya to help them with education, with their health, you know, weave them with food. It goes a long way. The money gets stretched overseas, you know. And then the goal is to keep a report with them. When they guys, they're going to go and establish this where you guys will be able to have letters from these kids and you can write them back and you can have exchange. And who knows, like I said, you may one day go and meet these kids in person and see what God is usually here in New Bedford to bless kids in Kenya, which is awesome. Amen. And so that's the heart of this. And I pray that we don't just celebrate Christmas. I pray we do Christmas. You know, we're all spiritual orphans. Now he says, now, why don't you do what I did for you? Why don't you invite one more person into your family like I invited you into my family? That's what it's all about. You know, before these guys go and and get ready at the tables, I want to pray for them. Would you stretch your hands towards our amazing team here going to Kenya? They leave next week. Heavenly Father, we lift up this team to you, Lord, and we thank you for each one of them. God, we believe that you orchestrated this team. Nothing happens by coincidence or mistake. And I pray, God, that you send them with much grace and much joy. And we pray, God, that there's a divine connection that's happening between New Bedford and Kenya, Lord, with these kids. And that your Holy Spirit is in the middle of it, Lord. And I pray that these kids are going to be part of our extended families for years to come. That we'll be able to see them grow up and become who you created them to be. And we can say, man, I'm so glad I played a part in that. Thank you for this group, Lord. I pray they have a safe travel, Lord. I pray you keep them healthy, Lord. I pray, God, no sickness, God. I just pray, Lord, for an amazing trip. I pray they come back with an amazing report. And that each one of us can say we are part of something bigger than all of us which is your mission on this earth. So thank you for their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen, amen. Amen. I want to thank you for listening today, and I want to encourage you to share this with someone who needs to hear about the love of God. And uh, hope to see you soon.